Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams and Tea Podcast, where we spin the jams and spill the tea. And this week, we are going to be coming at you with two very, very anticipated albums this year by pretty much everybody, not just us, but the world at large. We are going to be talking about an album by a podcast uh, favorite underdog of the rap game currently, Denzel Curry's new album, uh, Melt My Eyes, See the Future. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about the new Soul Glow album, which is Diaspora Problems. So, Absolutely. Yeah, and this week on the channel, we've put up plenty of content for you. We did the next episode in our Bjork retrospective series. We just covered Post. Go check out that discussion. It's us fawning the fuck over that album for 30 minutes. It's great. Uh, tripping over ourselves last week. We did our main episode, which is on the new Charlie XEX album, Crash, and the new Destroyer album, Labyrinthitis. And we also had a bonus video this week uh, that sort of took the spot of our record club where we dedicated an episode of the show to Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters, who recently tragically passed away. We covered their album, There's Nothing Left to Lose. Go check out that discussion. It's a great talk about a great album that more people need to listen to. So Absolutely. Um, so yeah, and we're back and we're hungrier than ever. And so let's get into and Jen our... is back. Yes. Jen, Jen is Jen, back. Jen is back too. We have them as our guest yet again. Uh, grateful for the continued guest appearances that we've been having, uh, especially considering that um, we can't always bring the full podcast team on for every episode. So it's nice to have some spicy variation in the in the perspectives and in the opinions. Uh, we'll I, I wish we had more viewers in generally speaking of course I do but I wish we had more viewers just so in the comments we get like I can't tell these crackers apart yeah uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah uh-huh so, so um also as you will you might remember if you watched last week's main episode we said we were going to do a record club on Evanescence's Fallen as well that has been recorded that will be coming up on Tuesday so stick around for that that was a really great really fun uh, recording that we did and um, there'll be more exciting new content in the near future as well that I will announce when it's ready um, but first of all let's get into what we have been listening to for the last seven days Jake what have you been listening to I think the first thing that I just want to get out of the way is uh, a bit of a mini segment I'm sure that you two will join with me here because uh, we all happened to I think we all individually, funnily enough, decided to listen to this album to all take it upon ourselves to bear this burden and then collectively realize (laughs) afterwards that we all did. So we listened to the new Machine Gun Kelly album, uh, Mainstream Sellout. And I've I've got a a bit of a dragon to slay here just because ever since last year where Machine Gun Kelly pivoted uh, his career into uh, pop punk with Tickets to My Downfall, it, it, he he's sort of like, he's been in the discourse. You know, a lot of people are just like, oh, he's co-opting this genre. He's coming around and he's just like, you know, he's making this thing and he's, he's soulless and all this shit. And it's just like, okay, thing is about that is A, I don't care. B, Anybody bringing guitar-driven music into the world of pop music, regardless of whether or not it's good, is a net positive for the world. Because this means that somebody who wants to do an actually decent pop-punk revival, if they're making something, 
and somebody, some fucking record executive suit up at the top of the food chain says, hey, that Machine Gun Kelly album sure was successful. Maybe we should green light this too. Then that's a net positive for the world of music. And if that doesn't happen, we have another album that no one's going to talk about in five years. So who gives a shit? The thing is, the problem with Machine Gun Kelly, problem with Tickets to My Downfall, and the big problem with mainstream sellout is that it's, it's, it's bad music. It's bad and the thing is, is that everybody's trying to trip over themselves and try to have like a take on this and try to like contextualize it and just be like, well, you know, it's like all these other pop punk bands, you know, like that he's stealing from, they're not necessarily the most sacrosanct. They're not like totally devoid of being corporate. It's like, yeah, and you know what? They sucked too. And Machine Gun Kelly sucks in the exact same way that they suck. Bands like Paramore, bands like My Chemical Romance, bands like all of those sort of, you know, elite kind of genre veterans that came out are good because this is the way genres work in that about 5% of the artists within them are going to be good and successful and innovative and they're going to last longer and 95% of them suck ass and no one cares. He is pastiching the ones that no one cares and on mainstream sellout, this is, this is just the worst. I mean, I, I hate to like just travel into the world of hyperbole, but like this is far from the worst album I've heard for this podcast. I mean, like far, far, far away. Um, that said, I can scarcely think of one more aggressively boring. Like it alternates between being this really, really like anodyne, like Machine Gun Kelly's voice is the worst like singing voice ever. Like he's a guy who's meant to be like the trap beat guy who's supposed to be like, uh, this guy doesn't strain his vocals. He like, he just talks, it, it, it sounds closer to talk singing whenever he does like the chorus and whatnot. Like he, he can get a little animated sometimes, but he just sounds asleep on a genre like pop punk that doesn't really work very well. And just the songwriting here oh my god the cringe it's just again i don't care how much cringe was in 2000s pop punk bands i don't care yes it, it was all over them They're, a lot of them are unlistenable because of their lyrics this is also unlistenable it's because again machine gun kelly has no interest in making music that is pastiching something good. He is pastiching an idea of something else and therefore has concentrated the most vapid, gross, occasionally creepy. I believe I made a joke on Twitter about the song Emo Girl, about how it's basically the most honest song on the album because it is the kind of song that would get you allegations that get you kicked out of work tour. And I stand by that because it's true. And Listening to this feels like I, I have like a 40 minute long gap in my life now. And I'm just like, and I know you just like, oh, I'm never going to get that time back. And I'm just thinking about that. I'm like, what could I have done? What could I have done in those 40 minutes? I could have saved someone. I could have, I, I could have saved a child from disaster. I could have gone in like Spider-Man into a burning building and carried a child out and delivered it to its mother. And instead I chose 
to stand there and listen to Machine Gun Kelly sing about emo girls and how he likes it when they wear the fishnets and know the words to trap songs and how he can complain about how he's still sad even though he has a big house in Hollywood and even though he fucks Megan Fox, he's so depressed. And oh, this song is actually about my dead dad even though this song is not about my dead dad. I'm just gonna throw in a lyric there and say it's about my dead dad and I'm just, I. this is all so exhausting. It's just bad, You're just say it's bad guys forgetting about the bar right before he says this is for my dead father where he says i'm a genius could have made donda yeah (laughs) i'm glad i'm glad i'm not the only person that remembered that um i like many people became aware of machine gun kelly in the midst of his feud with eminem i think he had a minor hit before that and he was sort of a a semi-established name in popular culture again this is around the time where i'm like starting to realize that I'm no longer like part of youth culture anymore. I'm in my early twenties. This is not like I'm artists are becoming successful that I'm not like following and shit. So anyway, I became aware of machine gun Kelly through this feud with Eminem, which, you know, was transparently so heavily manufactured, right. For, for clout. And that's fine. A lot of beefs like that are manufactured. A lot of these sorts of things are sort of, uh, if not outright planned step by step, then at the very least, like artists will lean into them both on on both sides of the beef to um, to exacerbate or to get, get some kind of attention. Um, so I became aware of him through that, and I thought, okay, cool. So another white trash rapper, like awesome. I can forget about this person. Great. And then he made this transition into into pop punk in twenty twenty with Seconds to My Downfall, and. You know, a lot of the discourse around MGK uh, since that record has been like, he's such a poser. How dare he adopt the aesthetics of pop punk when he has no basis for or roots in that music as an artist? And I just want to say off the bat, that's a stupid argument. That's pathetic. I mean, very, artists, very dumb. Artists do those kinds of genre maneuvers all the time. And I can understand feeling cynical to a certain extent about artists who adopt certain aesthetics in a very shallow way where once they might have been used with more sort of depth but I mean pop punk has never been an aesthetic or a a genre that's really all that deep and that's fine like um there's a lot of great pop punk bands and I mean Jake you've talked about two juggernauts but I would even say like a lot of the bands that maybe are a bit cornier are a bit cheesier I still have a certain level of affection for And I think it's important, maybe the most important band to bring up here is Blink-182. Blink-182, Because of the involvement of Travis Barker in both this record and uh, Tickets to My Downfall. And I want to say, Travis Barker is playing his ass off on both of these records. I mean, you can hear uh, the genuine punch that he has still as a performer, and you can hear the you know, the sense to which he's locked into what this kind of music should be and the sense to which he's kind of dedicated his sensibilities towards, you know, making the early 2020s sort of version of of what um, his band were doing in the 2000s. He sounds good for the most part on on these two records. Uh, Travis Barker does what he does best. And I think it's a savvy decision, marketing-wise, music-wise, whatever, from whatever... um, angle you want to look at it to team up with Travis because one thing that's abundantly clear and again this is not something that 
you know, is a uniquely an issue with MGK or whatever. But one thing that's abundantly clear, whenever you listen to his music, is, is the absolute dearth of talent. Like, that he has absolutely nothing, nothing to give in any respect at all. He is a complete void of charisma, a complete void of artistic personality, a complete void of anything to glob onto. So, of course... He would With an active to. disdain for what he's doing too. Like every step yeah. of the way, I'm just like, I don't believe that you want to be doing this at all. Yeah, and like, um, and that's fine. Like, there are a lot of pop stars that probably I would say have very little talent and yet make good music because they make savvy decisions with who they work with and they lean sure. into um, those aspects of what makes pop music pop music collaboration the idea of, of having producers and stuff like that and so it's smart on a business level for mgk to to work with travis barker and i believe that based on what i've seen that they have developed somewhat of a, of a strong kinship a strong relationship like they both believe in each other and great for them good for them it's a smart way for mgk to at least you know achieve bare minimum in terms of what he's trying to do. At least that's what he did on, on Tickets to My Downfall. I think that record does have a couple of really good songs, I think. The thing about mainstream sellout is that the thing that makes it measurably worse than Tickets to My Downfall, and I do think it is, even though they're both bad albums, to be clear. The thing that makes oh, it measurably wow. worse is the fact that it is loaded. It is absolutely laced with MGK's self-consciousness about how he's been received uh, due to this pivot in his career. So with Tickets to My Downfall... the album. Well, yeah, that's a big one. And the title track, <laughs> especially. Um, and the, and the, what he talks about on that song. But like, with Tickets to My Downfall, you didn't really have that. You ha This was MTK making the pivot and leaning into it and, and using Travis and, and adopting all these aesthetics that he perceived from, from 2000s pop punk and just doing the best he could, you know? And this is a record that is absolutely defined by... And in, in a lot of ways, completely absorbed by uh, his self-consciousness about how that was received, uh, the mockery that he received, all the sorts of reactions that he got for that pivot. And so you have a record that even if you want just the most shallow pop punk and you're happy with that and you just want to have those aesthetics and that, that throwback feel, um, even if you don't really care about artistry and you want that, it's still difficult to enjoy any part of this because of how consumed by self-consciousness it is. Uh, Mainstream Sellout, the title track of the album, is, is maybe the best example of this, but it carries across so much of this record. And the thing is that as a result of that, you either have a situation where MGK is trying too hard or trying not hard enough, torn between his impulses on how to respond to this, whether he should double down or whether he should, you know, uh, retreat. And as a result of that, you get the sense of an artist who is completely and utterly convictionless at all. And that's worse, I think, in a lot of ways than making bad pop punk. It's worse to have someone who is adopting these aesthetics, but also having no conviction whatsoever and no sense to which they belong in the avenue that they're pursuing. And I think it gets particularly bad towards the end of the record where you have songs like Die in California and songs like uh, Sid and Nancy, where he- Oh, Sid and Nancy. Uh, he's, kind of, he's kind of leaning into- He's leaning into these particular aesthetics of, of pop punk and, and pop emo, where it's like, you know, slitting my wrists, gonna kill myself, like 
uh, fantasizing these images of, of, you know, dying and romanticizing that idea. And, and I'm not saying that that's an inherently like dangerous thing that no musician should do. It's certainly a part of a lot of the more, you know, uh, intense aesthetics of some of the really kind of popular, uh, of the more kind of fringe popular bands in the scene, you know, like, you know, Pierce the Veil, Black Veil Brides, whatever. Like it, it, oh, it has a lineage oh. in that kind of thing. But when Machine Gun Kelly does it, 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 it it's genuinely stomach churning because, and, and again, it's about, it comes back to authenticity in a weird way. And I don't want to contradict myself here by saying that authenticity is suddenly important, but like the suddenly the apparent shallowness of everything that MGK is doing makes it so disgusting. Uh, when he really leans into this like romanticizing ugliness and suicide and all this kind of shit. And as a result, you get an album that's just so unsavory, like more than bad, more than unpleasant, just unsavory, just like leaving this awful taste in your mouth. And and it's I, a meal that is completely neutral to consume but leaves you with a horrific aftertaste and stomach like you know the, here here's the fucking thing about it is that first of all i honestly think that like down to the final track of it being like mgk's runaway is that this is an album that is obsessed <laughs> yeah. with himself as a personality and the problem is that nobody fucking cares nobody fucking cares about mgk's like mind in like the way like he's trying to make himself into a character in the way that kanye west did that donda line is honestly really apt just because he really is trying to like do that and the other problem is is that authenticity be damned here when you have something like this, you have those Blink albums or even some of the later like really bad Blink albums is that those are still records that are like about normal things people go through. They're like, it's like, you know, it's uh, being a kid sucks, blah, 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 blah. Like all these things that people can relate to. Nobody can relate to being MGK. I don't care if it's authentic, but yeah, I this do care if album. it's just like... This man is just, he's a fucking alien. He's a weirdo. He's way too old to be singing songs about emo girls without sounding like a fucking creep. And Especially I'm, when I, he has a history of making like unsavory comments about underage girls, right? Towards Eminem's don't, daughter. Don't, well, that was, that was the genesis of the, of the beef, right? So like, <laughs> I, in 2021, don't want to, like, I, I get it. Rich people can complain. This is what we do here. We listen to rich people complain. This is what music is now. It's what it's always been to some degree. I am. I. I draw the line in the sand at being a working class American having to listen to MGK talk about complaining about how having a mansion actually sucks. Dude, you make out with Megan Fox. I don't fucking care. Shut up. I mean, suck my dick. Maybe it's just my cynicism, but that whole relationship to me has seemed so like, you know, designed and fake and like um, just yeah. a, part of, a part of this image. I'm sure they probably sleep in different beds. Like, um, <laughs> like an I Love Lucy style, like twin beds on opposite sides of the room. <laughs> I mean, I'm 100% sure that they don't see very much of each other. But then again, I don't know. I, don't, I couldn't find a way to shoehorn this into my little thing, but I also just want to say that the song Drug Dealer is the most hilariously bad thing I've heard all People year. People keep saying that's like the best song on the album and it's fucking hysterical. Just fucking, just fucking Lil Wayne be like, she my drug dealer. <laughs> Lil Wayne is on two on songs on this, on this album. Comedy gold. 
Yeah. Oh. Oh, look, love to Lil Wayne, an important figure in 2000s rap and made some good music. And I don't have that level of animosity towards him that some people do, but man does and i'm not even mad like i don't even like oh fuck lil wayne i'm just I don't like give it's a funny shit lil wayne it's is funny on this album it, it's absolutely on fucking that, funny he was on the tyler the creator album last year and he was good he was on hot wind blows and that was like one of the best features that was on mm-hmm. anything last year yeah and he's kind of the link as well i think between the lineage of rock music that mgk is is pastiching and the kind of you know really sort of emo-y rap that was a not emo rap when Lil Wayne was doing it, but was kind of the predecessor to that wave. Um, so he's a good fit on here and stuff. And I want to say one thing as well um, about uh, Emo Girl, which is a song that doesn't really need discourse, but I want to say that the one saving grace of the song, I think, is that Willow Smith actually gives a pretty convincing turn, I think, vocally doing this kind of music. And I would love to see her make more of this kind of music but with her own she has an entire album i need to check out that project that she did but yeah i I think that she showed a lot of promise on this song even if she had very little to work with and i i just liked it was the the one moment on the album where you got the most sense of like an actual human being you know performing for you. you had like real like you know dynamics in the way that she was using her voice and it's not a great song it's not a good song it's a bad song but like yeah it it was the one thing I had to Look, glob onto. The hook is just too bad for me to give it any concession. It's not even a hook, like, really. It's not even it's not a hook. Time, it doesn't stop it from every time I hear it. I'm just like, oh, God. Uh, yeah. Stop. Anyway, GM, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Um, I was going to say... I like the album. This switch... <laughs> <laughs> This genre switch was not completely um, blindsiding to me because funnily enough, I saw Machine Gun live in 2018 when he opened for Fallout Boy because I had just started college. So it was like the first concert I went to when I came up uh, to this part of the state. And this was right in the midst of the Eminem beef, right? So he was doing like that song, what is it called? Rap Devil. He was doing that. But he also, at one point, whipped out a guitar and did a cover of uh, Say It Ain't So, which is just as bad as you might think it would be. And I'm glad he hasn't tried to do that since. But not an unanticipated shift because of that. I'm more familiar with him than I would like to admit. But this album, man, what you said about guitar music, I agree with. Generally, I think the guitars on this album actually sound really good. And I think it will be a gateway for more guitar-driven music to start charting again please god but there are just some things Willow on this Smith album. stuff i hope it does well because of this because if anyone deserves to lead the charge with the pop punk shit why not her please i mean she's clearly exactly talented, so and like olivia rodrigo kind of has that thing going too yes she does and this is the thing just like it should bit. be it should be if it's going to happen if this aesthetic is going to become a part of the popular music again it should be happening with you know gen z artists it should be happening with you know the, the people it should also that... probably be happening with young girls who can reclaim a genre that has been objectifying them for like 15 years yeah that's a good yeah, it's just cool that that happens but jake i'm glad you called machine gun kelly an alien because that reminded me of the part on the second track where he describes going out to the desert and seeing the lights <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, um, that's the funny thing, right? Is that, like, he's doing this 
and it's like you already did this semi poorly before right like what like just discourse aside how is this this much worse than main than or mainstream sellout is so much worse than tickets to my downfall an album i don't think is good but like what the fuck happened i felt delusional by thinking this was a significant step down but yeah it's a significant step down somehow <laughs> mm, there was a video of him today on howard stern doing a cover of uh system of a downs aerials yeah i saw and that he just, he just has a blunt in his hand the entire time <laughs> i i need you to know i need everyone to know um that it is the worst cover i've heard in a long time i mean you obviously imagine this uh, conceptualize this machine gun kelly singing surge tankian just just think about the, the most the... colorful, emotive metal frontman of all time and the personality this vacuous black hole that is Machine Gun Kelly. How does that even work? It does, it's not even the same song at that point. And also like singing a song from a band where the music is heavily rooted in their Armenian roots and a particular type of uh, music and a cultural history that NGK couldn't be further from uh, in many ways like it's almost offensive I mean I could say it is offensive and uh, not just because it's bad yeah. but it, by god is it bad in, in a just world really this would bad. sink his career <laughs> because it's that shameful people are discovering his misery business cover on TikTok and I think that's beginning to sink his career <laughs> that's a thing that also exists Kaylee, please, for the love of God, we need the next Paramore album. We re- we need it bad. Please, mm. show up and kick ass. Take your throne back. <laughs> we're we're dying. Yeah, after laughter was nice, but I want Paramore to come back loud and hard. At this point, I need. I want like to... Riot too. Frankly, like <laughs> I want like front to back nothing but like or hell, come back with like a thirty-five minute long album that's just stacked. Mm. that's what that's what we need yeah but uh yeah now that we got that out of the way that fucking obligation i can talk about real music um i have i have one thing i want to build to it's very important i'm gonna save that for last firstly though i did listen to some new stuff um first of all i listened to the new mashuga if you don't know who mashuga are they are insanely prolific progressive metal stalwarts progressive industrial metal stalwarts came out of the kind of same scene that i would say devin townsend came out of so you know not totally dissimilar to stuff this podcast really really cares for i personally have never really been able to get into mashuga i've tried to listen to stuff like destroy erase improve uh and i enjoy it but in a very observe like i i don't really it's music that i listen to but not music that i feel and this new album is basically, it, it epitomizes that, frankly. It, it's music that I listen to, but never music that I feel. It's, it's because they've leaned really, really hard into Gent. And we've like occasionally done things about Gent. And the thing is, is that uh, I'll shout out just because August isn't here, is that there's also a new album by a progressive band that he shouted out before called Animals as Leaders. Um, and they're known for like, they're like really heavy on the Gent. And Gent is like, really think like i mean it's not that far away from like tool but it's like really playing with these aggressive kind of 
time signatures and repeating sort of like very hypnotic looping winding riffs that just kind of bury themselves into you and the new animals as leaders album does this in a really interesting way and that the production on the animals as leaders albums that i've heard is like crystalline i don't like it it, it, it is Metal so cleanly produced, I didn't know it was even possible. And for them, that's actually a compliment because it completely enhances the sound. What happens when you listen to Gent, and I'll admit, this is not a genre or subgenre of metal that I particularly love or even like care for generally, but when it's done really well, you can tell. And these kind of grooves just kind of sink into you and it kind of all locks into place and you just really start enjoying it. And the new Animals as Leaders album does it very well. The new Meshuggah album, on the other hand, is like, it feels so impersonal. It, it feels metal by way of robots in that like, yeah, there's like a little bit of grit to all of it. Like the production's not as clean, but there's like everything that's happening here is just like, it feels auto-generated. There just doesn't feel like there's passion here. It's passion by numbers. It's like looking at the most beautiful painting in the world and finding out that it was literally done by like an actual painting by numbers thing. And it's like, okay, I mean, like, cool, but also, you know, this ain't no Van Gogh is what I'm saying. It's it's just, it's an album that's very difficult to get into. Like if you're a Meshuggah fan, this is like the same album they've been making for like a decade now. So you'll probably enjoy it a little bit, but like, eh, it's just not, Maybe they're not my bag, but I do genuinely think that they just don't do it as well. Because again, the New Animals is Leaders album. I think they do it right. They're a little bit more dynamic. They're a little bit more, in and they're also, they're shorter. Please stop making metal albums longer than an hour. Please, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Another thing I'll shout out, new record. Uh, Jen, you'll actually be interested in this a little bit. I, I'm curious to know if you might actually know this artist. Kentucky artist, Ian No put out a new album. He is a guy who has been making, he's got a self-titled album and an album after that. And he's kind of got like the, I haven't heard his self-titled, but his second album got uh, put onto me by Morgan's dad. And uh, he's a very like, he's contemporary. He's very much in the sort of like, I would say he's very spiritually inclined towards Rustin Kelly, but like way more traditional sound wise, like bluegrass, like traditional Americana, like stuff like that. Uh, no like poppiness or anything. It's just like, this is old shit. Like I would say that his second album is like, it's kind of lo-fi in its approach, but this album is like his sort of album that really kind of feels like it's sort of taking a step forward in ambition is it's a new one like just came out called river fools and mountain saints and this is fantastic i gave this a listen last night and i was really impressed with what i heard i really think that it's really comparable i would say to um willie nelson was the the vibe that i got throughout most of it uh some of his more like stripped back stuff but like the band behind him is really great like everything just sounds very warm it's very like it was kind of nostalgic sounding as a matter of fact but what i would really compare the approach in writing to here is that ian's a great storyteller who has had an insanely difficult life. If you listen to any of his music, a lot of it is about like, you know, drug addiction, heroin, stuff like that. But this is like his Nebraska, where each song is about a character, or, you know, the last Killers album, where each song is about a character, a situation, you know, somebody like in Appalachia and all these characters are, you know, from different walks of life. And you sort of get 
the entire portrait of their character through these songs. And he does it really well. He does it as well as Flowers does. He does as well as Springsteen does. It's, it's really great stuff. I, I can't promise it'll be for everyone just because it really is like, it's half Americana, half bluegrass and bluegrass can sort of just be a, you know, subgenre of country music that is a little too out there for even people, you know, really twangy guitars, like, uh, you know, just kind of set like, I don't want to say like stereotypical, but like, it, it's really good stuff. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And Ian is a guy who does not have a lot of exposure and deserves a lot more of it. So if you're even like remotely interested in the world of alt country, in the world of Jason Isbell, Rustin Kelly, fucking just all that kind of shit for you. It's very, very good. Well, since Morgan's not here there and just because this ties back into the Foo Fighters is that the Foo Fighters actually had a movie come out semi-recently, um, which right, is like I a did. B horror movie studio six, 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 I think it's called. Um, I haven't seen it. Um, I kind of want to just because I have a feeling that's a great drunk zoom call movie just kind of seems like stupid fun. Uh, and I would watch Dave Grohl like, paint a wall i don't know i'd watch him do anything um but he actually released an album that is technically an ep of 40 minutes long under the name dream widow which is self-titled and i mentioned uh, like months and months ago uh, an album by dave Grohl called probot where on each of the songs he teams up with a metal musician to make a different kind of metal song like he teams up with lemmy killmeister and basically makes a motorhead song that has dave Grohl as the drummer which kicks as much ass as you think it does or on the final track where he teams up with jack black of tenacious d and it's called the warlock and he has a lyric that says i am the warlock and i'm going to fuck your life up um it's it's a it's a great <laughs> amount of fun um i'm pretty sure the frontman of voivod is on one of them um but this is it's definitely like less silly but dream widow kind of commits to more of a it's almost death metal there's a little bit more experimentation. There's some like stoner death metal. The final track is a 10 minute long black metal song. And if you've ever wanted to hear Dave fucking Grohl make like hardcore like metal music, this is him doing it. And it's great. Um, it, it is nothing that is going to reinvent the wheel or if convert you if you're not a genre fan. If anything, what I love about it is the fact that Dave commits so hard to this, like even in the way it sounds in production, that it's, it sounds like a little bit compressed and shitty, but like in the way that 80s heavy metal albums kind of sound. Um, and, and his vocals on this are insane. Like if you ever doubted his vocal versatility, give this one listen, you'll just be like, holy shit, this man is going off. Uh, it's a great little listen. It's very, very fun. Um, I would highly recommend it to any metal fan out there. It's, it's an insanely enjoyable project. The final thing I'll mention here is that this is, this is, this is difficult to talk about just because doom metal, like very like tr more traditional doom metal is very difficult to recommend. And also the doom metal that I like tends to not be the doom metal that a lot of other people on this podcast tend to like. Uh, see our incredibly high um, differentiating ratings on the new Paul Bearer album uh, or newest Paul Bearer album, if you want an indication as to how that goes. But I, I can't not shout this out for a couple reasons. For one, because it doesn't seem to get a lot of attention. And two, because 
it's strange to say it in such a in, in in a genre like this, I guess, but I have a weird emotional attachment to this album now. And it is an album called uh, Return to the Void by Shape of Despair. It's one of the highest rated metal albums of 2022 so far. And listening to this was interesting just because the two genre tags it has are funeral doom metal and gothic metal. So immediately that's like, for me, I'm like, real shit because i mean i don't love anything as much as i love those two combinations of things and funeral doom metal is notably the kind of doom metal that is the slowest most patience trying that said it does take a certain amount of je ne sais quoi to really like make a funeral doom metal worth listening to so i'll be point blank and say i think this is the best doom metal album i've listened to since um bell witch's mirror reaper and it gives me a lot of the same emotions that that album does in that this is an album that's basically about, I mean, it's just very blankly about suicidality. It's about wanting to die and it's about trying to achieve peace. And the Gothic edge to this is really what makes it, in my opinion. This is an album that has, like, doom metal is known for being like really slow, really structurally kind of basic, very like focusing on power a little bit more than anything else. And this is, a lot more dynamic than something like Bell Witch's Mirror Reaper. This is something that's a lot more active, a lot more moving parts, but in this, it makes it one of the most fleshed out and interesting feeling members of this genre that I've listened to in a long time. There's like the traditional doom metal kind of deathy, black metal-y, growly vocals, but there's also more traditional kind of clean vocals, and there's also um, female lead vocals as well. So they keep kind of changing things up and making this experience really feel as though this is like every single song is as well formed and well put together as it possibly could be. And the guitar tones, the, 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 the amount of heft and weight this thing has, it's, it's spellbinding. I, I've been listening to it a lot recently in a weird headspace where something like this feels incredibly emotionally cathartic. And if I'm being blunt about it, I'd say that this is probably the best thing I've heard all year. I think that I I don't have a single issue with this album. I can't say that it'll be for everyone. Uh, In fact, I can't really say it'll be anybody, anybody's cup of tea other than mine, but I, I got out of it a lot more than I do even my favorite members of this particular genre. Uh, And I do genuinely think it's incredibly musically accomplished. This is an album that like has a high barrier for entry because, you know, if you don't like these things that I'm talking about, this is not going to be an accessible entry in this genre, but it is more accessible by virtue of the fact that it is so dynamic and cool, but it is just really that it is so patently emotional and beautiful. And by the end, you feel a, a great, sense of of solace uh not even necessarily good or bad it's just kind of leaves you and you're just I like I heard it and I was kind of rattled I didn't listen to anything for like an hour after I first heard it I just kind of thought about it and that very rarely happens to with records to me is that it just I've just been thinking about this album so much and I can't remember the last time a doom metal album captivated me like that so check that out if it sounds interesting I I don't know if anybody else here will like it but mm, I hope it gets more attention. Oh, yeah. I will be listening to that very soon. I've been playing a lot of Talos Principle lately, which is an old 
open world puzzle game from like yep. eight years ago that I love. I'm addicted to this fucking game and I've been like listening, looking for like records to just listen to while I play it. And so instrumental shit has really been hitting. In fact, that is the genesis mm. of the artist I've spent the most time listening to this week by far. Uh, it's not an artist that I'm particularly new to, um, although I did get sort of into them towards the end of last year, but it is an IDM ambient techno artist called Ski Mask, um, who mm. is some who makes i think some of the best ambient techno i've ever heard in my life uh an absolutely amazing amazing artist he has two albums that i've been spinning uh on a loop essentially for a lot of this week uh compro and pool uh pool only came out last year in fact and it's like a, a 90 minute opus of idm and it's brilliant but compro his album from 2018 is even better and i would put it up there with uh, John Hopkins immunity and four tits rounds as like one of the best statements of uh, that kind of IDM in the last 20 years. It's just an amazing, amazing record, like very soothing, but also at the same time, quite active as well. Jake, I think you really, really dig this album. Um, it, it feels to me Compro. like the exact, yeah, Compro. It feels to me like the exact brand of sort of ambient music by way of sort of gentle pulsing beats that, would really appeal to your sensibilities i think uh unfortunately i don't think they're on streaming but they're not difficult to find but yeah that that album is um both the albums compro and paul are fantastic but um compro i think is a really really special record that i find it very easy to just put on and then just if i don't do this very often with albums at all but there have been points of this week where i've just put the album on and i've just let the album the whole album loop and just let it myself just kind of bleed into it it's you can walk to it you can work to it you can read to it you can play games to it you can sleep to it it is um, sufficiently non-intrusive to support all of those experiences but it's also not so simplistic and one note that it becomes boring if you want to focus on it it's a, it hits a beautiful middle ground um, and I think it's a masterpiece uh, so yeah that's been on an absolute loop for me this week those two albums especially and i'll just have one other thing i'll check out uh which is one of my favorite albums of the year one of my favorite little discoveries that i only made yesterday in fact um, so it was a very recent discovery for me uh, and it is an album by an artist called material girl uh, and it's called i85 mix 21 22 it has a very sort of like um you know, digitized title and the, it doesn't, the tracks themselves are like, all have the same title, except they are like differentiated by like remix, mix, dub, et cetera, et cetera. But they are distinct and different songs. This is a very difficult album for me to describe. Uh, it is one of the most unique records I've heard that's come out this year. It's primarily an experimental hip hop album, um, but it has elements of, avant-garde jazz it has elements of drum and bass it has elements of electronica of all kinds it has such a sound collage quality to it that it's almost constantly throwing something new at you and also the way it's structured as well is it's kind of like a suite of music it's an hour-long album where it kind of just is one holistic track in some respects it reminds me of like Lil Ugly Main's uh, mixtapes and uh, some of the music that he made in the mid uh, 2010s but this is very distinct and it has a sort of lo-fi bedroom-esque feel to it there are these quite sort of dark 
uh, existential and, and and I think somewhat queer themes to it as well. Although I haven't really dug into the lyrics, but you get the sense of tragedy and sadness that comes through here that I think uh, will appeal to a lot of people. It might not be everyone's bag. There, some people I think are, have been complaining or at least not been super into the vocal performances and some of the mixing elements and stuff, but. I found this to be utterly fantastic uh, the entire way through. I was completely hooked. And I was really just enamored with how many different sounds you were kind of getting thrown at you here. I've been listening to, I mentioned this last week, but I've been listening to the new Rosalia album, Motomami, a lot lately as well. And that's an album where you're just kind of like, you're thrown into a fucking centrifuge of sounds where like, you're just different sounds that are completely in genres and stuff that are completely unrelated are just colliding into each other. And you're having these messy sort of hard cuts from one thing to another thing, sometimes within a song. And it's so disorienting, but Rosalia is so good at it that you absolutely don't lose your, um, you don't stop being hooked on it, even if it's not all working for you. And that album I think is really worth experiencing for that. And Material Girl, though it's a very different kind of experience, and a very different kind of record has that same sort of whirlwind quality to it. Um, it's a little bit more holistic and 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 more kind of uh, consistently well paced. Um, but it's gone into my top ten albums of the year so far. Uh, a complete surprise as well. I wasn't. I had no expectations for this. I didn't think I would love this uh, necessarily as much as I did. But it's uh, an absolute, um, a, a really great record. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. Um, especially because it seems to be quite an underground artist, the kind of artist who really only gets attention from internet online music nerds and places like Radio Music and stuff. That is why I use that site so much because otherwise I would never discover this kind of um, this kind of artist, and um, they really deserve all the attention they can get. So, yeah, that's basically been my week. The first thing I'll point out is the late beastie boys album to the five burrows oh interesting which is the only immediate post 9 11 album i've ever heard that i wish was more post 9 11 <laughs> uh, <laughs> because you get that kind of stuff especially an album that conceptually is so dedicated and artists that are so dedicated to new york city you get stuff like that um obviously the track open letter to nyc is very like we're all gonna make it relentless positivity stuff that like only the beastie boys can pull off without being completely insufferable um but then you have a track like it takes time to build where mca is just like completely going for the throat of the federal government but then the rest of it is um just kind of more of the same if you've heard a beastie boys album you kind of have heard a lot what's on a lot of beastie boys albums there are obviously some bangers songs like check it out are great but it just it doesn't have the novelty of license to ill or the production qualities of a paul's boutique or an ill communication so most of it just kind of comes and goes but what's good is really good the yeah. next thing uh jefferson airplanes surrealistic pillow great record. one of the most nice. influential yeah one of the most influential albums during the summer of love gave us uh the Matrix Resurrections trailer. Uh, <laughs> I was listening to that in my car like an hour ago. With the song White Rabbit, gave us somebody to love. But really what's great about this album is just how 
versatile it is all across it. And I think that has to do to vocalists of the band who, depending on who's, you know, driving the car, so to speak, the band can be in a completely different mode. And it makes this album that's kind of long and meandering really interesting to especially to drive to have only ever listened to this album in a car and feel like that's the yeah. best way to go about it at least sober uh, <laughs> yeah don't don't drink and drive and listen to this album <laughs> uh the next thing i want to point out is a new country album by the band muscadine bloodline called dispatch to 16th ave which is I'll describe it like this. When we talked about the Walker Hayes album, I pointed out that it was like a bunch of songs meant to go straight to radio. This album feels like an album made by a band who's been at it for 10 to 12 years. And this is a live album of the greatest hits. It's nine tracks. It's about 35 minutes. It's orchestrated in a way where everything all the tracks kind of flow into each other in that live album sort of way, very smoothly constructed. It's just banger after banger. And it's a very versatile album too. You have absolute barnstormers on there and you have sadder songs and the way they're sequenced too. You have a song about heartbreak that transitions into a song about murdering the man who stole your wife, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is a super cool experience to get with a country album. I won't say there won't be anything that surpasses it, but the experience that I have listening to it um, is probably very different than anything else I would listen to, at least on the country side of the world. It feels like a really good live album from a band that is just getting started. It's awesome. Awesome. And then the last thing I want to shout out is a independent Irish rapper name of Craig Boy Mental, who oh. put out an album yesterday called Neuro Wavy. And this guy has a ton of energy. For one, he was all over my TikTok, which is what got me turned on to his music. But if you watch the live performances of this guy, he is so fucking punk um and this album really reflects that you have diss tracks all over the place about being infantilized as an autistic person um a jk rowling diss track a song yeah. called this is not an a song called this is not an nft like <laughs> this yeah. guy this guy I think his method is just that he finds something that he is angry about and just writes like a two minute rap song about it and just puts it out. I, there is more energy in his live performances than are on this album, sadly, but I think that's just the nature of him as a beast, as a performer. So if he ever comes down, I'll be buying tickets day one, but I wouldn't say I'll be streaming this album repeatedly, sadly. Uh, I just don't know the way I want to experience this dude's music. But that's it for me. Nice. Before we continue, let me do one thing in that I, I also have another person to shout who contacted me, um, a uh, an independent rapper by the name of Chuck Thurgood. I wanted to shout him out. He sent me a song of his called Chef's Special, which if you are a fan of Earl Sweatshirt, boy howdy, 
is this guy's stuff for you? I promised him I would give him a shout out just because I really like this track. So here's my shout out to you, my good man, Chuck Thurgood. Uh, check out his music. Go follow him on SoundCloud. Okay, well, let's get into our first review of the day, which is... The new album from Soul Glow, Diaspora Problems. Now, Soul Glow are a uh, Philadelphia-based hardcore band. They have been around for a while now. They have dropped mixtapes, EPs, a couple of albums, I think. And they have made waves progressively, uh, slowly but surely in the world of hardcore music. Uh, And it's worth noting as well that this is obviously a world of music that is very dominated by white voices, by uh, lineages of music that have uh, been in a lot of ways dominated by white people. Uh, And so this is a band that is fronted by an incredibly intense and gripping voice in frontman Pierce Jordan, whose lyrics and vocal performances speak on the black experience in the current era within his personal life and on a wider socio-cultural spectrum that certainly I'm sure these kinds of experiences and this kind of music has undeniably existed but we're at a strange and auspicious moment now where this particular kind of music is getting a lot of mainstream attention among music media. This album got a best new music from Pitchfork. It got, uh, it has received a lot of acclaim and it's not even just upon the release of the album as well. There was a lot of hype building around Soul Glow in the lead up to this record. And so you have an instance where what would typically, I think maybe even two years ago, be so fringe that it would likely not receive this kind of attention, not even hit our radars, is now starting to become uh, impossible for mainstream music media to ignore. And it should be said that for whatever reasons you want to read into why that is, there's a lot to potentially be said there. Uh, One thing that's undeniably clear is that this is a record that is not being ignored because it cannot be ignored. This is an album that is so in your face. This is an album that is so raucously intense and demanding of your attention. And it should be said, you know, we're talking about this album today and we're talking about Denzel Curry's album. We're talking about these two albums that speak quite in quite a considerable amount of detail and quite a considerable amount of depth about uh, uniquely black experiences. And these are experiences and things that we are not at all qualified to speak on. And we are not at all really even qualified to have an opinion on. But we do like to talk about music. And we do like to talk about how music resonates with us. And Soul Glow's Diaspora Problems, I think, is musically, uh, and this is without even getting into the subject matter, which in my opinion only accentuates this, but musically, this is one of the most uh, absolutely blistering and, and impressive and, and absolutely gobsmackingly great things uh, released this year. Uh, and, and, in, and in a longer time than that, it feels like we have been thirsting for urgency and voices in hardcore punk music that 
Soul Glow make bands from the 2010s like I don't know idols or whoever kind of like loud boisterous socially conscious punk bands you've had you know with that whether you like them or not soul glow in one fell swoop with this album and with their previous music as well but here especially are so powerful and so potent and so cutting to the root of the things that are of interest to them that they almost render all other voices uh, in that space irrelevant like it's hard to listen to this record and then want to listen to anything else like it when this exists uh, it, it is that demanding and that uh, confronting and that addictive of a hardcore record and it is so laced with not only a particular kind of aggression, a justified aggression rooted in a lifetime and in, in, in decades and generations of continued sustained systemic suffering, that you really get a sense. And I, and I obviously say this as someone who doesn't have this experience, who doesn't have these roots, but you really, I think, get this strong and palpable sense of the intensity and the fatigue of that of that lasting legacy of suffering and of that continued experience coming through so powerfully in the intensity here. And, you know, I think I, I want to acknowledge this all up front because there's a lot of, you know, one frequent critique uh, that is given towards sort of white voices commenting on black art is the sense to which black art that is explicitly about black suffering and those sorts of difficult themes tend to be forms of black art that are more embraced by white people because they find a, a sort of uh, excitement or, or weird twisted catharsis in that kind of music whatever reasons I mean I'm not the person to theorize as to what those reasons might be but there is definitely a trend that has been acknowledged by a lot of black creators that a lot of discourse around music and art that gets a mainstream attention is often um, driven by white voices and often relates to things that are of interest to white people in black art so I want to acknowledge that off the front um, and that's not something that you know we can shy away from or get around but having said that this is just an album that is thoroughly gobsmacking and I have not been able to stop thinking about it for most of this week let alone listening to it yeah, I, I barely even know where to begin. What What do you guys think? I mean, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> as somebody who was not familiar with Soul Globe beforehand, you throw on that first track, and by the end of that song, you fucking know who Soul Glow are. Like, oh, who gonna I, I'm gonna my go ass. ahead. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and. Get, just because I've seen the the ratings and whatnot for this, I'm gonna get my one hot take I have on this album out of the way. And the, the intro is actually my least favorite song, and it's primarily just because the really? delivery of the yeah, it's it's really just because the delivery of the the who gonna beat my ass refrain is like very specifically whiny sounding on an album where he doesn't break out that delivery ever again. And I don't know, it, it just sounds weird to me. Like I I just it's look. This is an album that is full, full of abrasive, noisy, clattering, piercing, scraping shit. Every single song here is designed from the ground up, not just in vocals, but in 
every single facet for it to be assaultive. And the first track is, of course, assaultive. It's just assaultive in a way that I like, you know, th- th- it's still a great song. I don't dislike it. It's not even average. It's a great song. I just feel like that delivery of the repeated who going to beat my ass refrain while incredibly fucking amusing feels loose in a way the rest of the song does not. Uh, it feels tight. It feels like the fact that the these songs often have these really intertwined structures of various methods by which to beat the shit out of you um its transfers into them are great um there are moments where the album very infrequently like maybe five to ten percent of the time will like scale back just a little bit notably i think in the closer is an album that's or that's a song that's like really dynamic and switches gears like bam 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 but by that point you kind of like you're so exhausted that like any form of reprieve feels like having your head come up for air. Like the, the, I can't stress enough how great the front man is. Uh, Pierce's vocals are unreal. This dude knows how to scream in a way that makes you genuinely concerned for him. I'm somebody who listens to Converge to like feel better about things. And then I'll listen to something like this and I'm just like, this kind of like, there's just sort of a tonality to his voice that feels out of control and that's kind of what the whole album feels like is that to some degree this feels both like if it wasn't so structurally interesting and ambitious it would feel more like a live album of just a guy freaking the fuck out for a really long time but what's cool about it is that it doesn't just focus on being this incredibly abrasive hardcore punk thing where it sounds like I think a lot of the comparisons I could bring up here sound wise are like it's like a mixture of bad brains and black flag um but every so often there's a something like a genre twist that'll like kind of kick things up that'll make you remind you more like rage against the machine or hell something like an early Denzel Curry project on some of the songs here that have more of an hip-hop inflection into them there is so much actually happening and there's so much to appreciate about each track that it's kind of overwhelming to consider the fact that you have the front man whose delivery is also overwhelming but also lyricism that is overwhelming which is a good thing in my opinion the first track is also the one where He's delivering everything so fast that it almost feels like I almost need like maybe slow down just like like ten percent like just a little bit so I can get it. But uh, reading along with the the lyricism with this album is an imperative thing, which is not always the case with hardcore music. Sometimes it's just about getting with the round. But here again, there is the sort of the the voice that's speaking to this particular experience. But I also think this album does a fantastic job of making that experience feel very broad and feeling not in a way that dilutes it, but in a way that makes it feel worldly, in a way that makes it feel like this isn't just the, you know, his experience with blackness. This is his experience with just being alive right now. There's a lot of stuff on this album that's about like just trying to be a better person and a better human being. There's a spoken word segment at the end of one of the songs, which I really love where he's just like, you know, you can't, you have to be a better person in the face of adversity in order to prove all of the people who are, you know, contributing to that adversity, Um, which I think is really poetic and cool, but he's also just like, you know, you can't let like white people tell you that shit. 
and he's right. That's it, that's an it's it's good that he's being upfront about that because again he, he's correct. But the cool thing is is that a lot of the things here they're about like materialism. They're about capitalism. They're about all of these very modern problems that just happen to be a part of the greater whole of what his experience is right now. And I wouldn't describe the lyrics as like, there's like on, I think it was the single that was released for it, which is um, Drippinomics. Is that the one that was mm -hmm. this first single, I think? think so. Drippinomics is just basically like, motherfucker is shouting a lot about Yeezys. And that sounds weird when you say it like that. But you just get the impression that it's just overwhelming to be surrounded by this kind of shit. And this album is a method of catharsis to sort of escape with and deal with that and to do it on his own terms, which feels incredibly cathartic, I think, for anybody. But there is also parts of it that do definitely speak to the Black experience, which I am absolutely not qualified to judge, but I however am qualified to say that it kicks ass. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just not a song on here that really lets you down. Like even if the opener is my least favorite, it's a great song that comes before a bunch of fucking, uh, that comes before fucking 10 other great songs that are just better. And it comes across as like, I think the last track especially is so indicative of how ambitious this band is and how like wide reaching their influences are just because of that structure of it. You know, it changes tempo a lot. It changes just like what genre it can be at times. I mean, there are things like the things I carry or um, we want revenge, which all of which have a sort of really unique kind of I would, I would definitely say that there's a lot of Rage Against the Machine in this spiritually and even a little bit sound-wise, but that's the thing about this album is that it pulls from so many different punk staples that you can't really slot it into anything other than being just, this is what Soul Glow sounds like. Like, you can't listen to Bad Brains and just get this. This is so idiosyncratic. This is so specific. It feels like it could be an album that will be the pioneer for a wave of change and albums just like it. And it's really awesome that, I mean, like hardcore music is a genre that is especially dumb. I mean, we talk about how fucking incestuous hardcore music is all the time. And the fact that fucking Kurt Ballou and Jacob Bannon are behind basically every uh, hardcore punk and metal album in the last 20 years in one way or another. But the fact that we just have this completely left of the dial group come out here and everybody is immediately like ready to receive this album as the achievement and absolute ass kickery that it is it just rules it, it's one of the most consistent projects that i've heard all year and it almost like even if it's not your bag i think it'll still beat you into submission enough for you to have to concede that it is in fact a great record and a unique one at that the ways as to which this uses its production an aspect of hardcore music which is pretty substantially undervalued in my opinion the way this album manages to make itself noisier, like the noise rock, the serrating guitars on here, this sounds like shit off the Daughter's self-titled album. What the fuck, man? Like it's, it's serrating, it's lacerating, and it's just fun. I would go into a mosh pit and die, but it would probably be a worthwhile death. I, I definitely agree. I love how many different ways this album moves. I think about like the very ska-esque horn lines of the song like Thumbsucker, which you never hear so again, but that just good. makes it stand out even more. 
Um, and I also just think about that. It goes straight up like punk rap on Dripponomics and yeah. mm-hmm. gets there a little bit later on John Jay, which is far and away my, mm-hmm. my favorite song in the album. But there's not oh, a song so on there like Dripponomics. And there's not a song on there, again, like Thumbsucker. There's not even a song on there like Who's Gonna Beat My yeah. Ass. Um, Gold Chain Punk is the, the actual title. Um, <laughs> no, John but, Jay, I completely co-sign as being the best song here. I completely agree. Fucking far and away estimator i love the structure of that song specifically there's nothing else like it in terms of how it moves and there are songs here that move but john jay just completely blew me away i was wishy-washy on it i was super into like the energy and the sound and pierce's vocals but john jay is when it really started to click for me and especially in that vocal passage towards the end Jake that you talked about where the the song is essentially about like Pierce no longer being suicidal because he feels too much spite to how terrible the world actually is (laughs) it's really fucking pessimistic but in a really optimistic kind of way it's really just like it it acknowledges how bad everything in the world is but it also is just like what am I gonna do fucking lay down and die fuck you and then bam (laughs) Hell yeah. Yeah, there's a sentiment on that song um, where it's like, it's been fucked right wing off the rip, but liberals are still more dangerous. And the sentiment of the focus when it comes to like systemic and institutional racism and the murder of black people being on the most the, the most loudly, you know, racist and, and offensive voices as a way of papering over the more insidious ways that systemic racism actually operates, you know, the, the ways in which that system is normalized and perpetuated through, you know, people who present themselves or try to present themselves as a pleasant, helpful force, but are ultimately the drivers of a lot of oppression. And, um, you know, and, and how insidious that is and how kind of psychologically that can fuck you up uh, when you are forced to, when like some of the only sort of systemic hope that you could possibly have is in people who are fundamentally still not going to help you. And the record communicates that feeling of the isolation that that creates and also the sense with which that fuels a sense of both hopelessness and aggression and and this record i think properly embraces aggression as a means of liberation because you'll have a lot of voices a lot of protest voices that will say do not stoop you know to the level of of the oppressor and do not you know resort to violence and do not do these sorts of things and i think you have among people like Pierce and among a lot of voices in who are genuinely insistent upon actual tangible revolution, you have this understanding that it's impossible without violence and that violent protest and violent response to aggression and to oppression is not just about catharsis, it's not just about revenge, but it's also about being that tool being the means with which to end suffering 
um, and, and the notion of, of, of inflicted suffering and of retribution and all that sort of stuff. And it's, it's right there and buried into these lyrics and it's quite potent and powerful. And um, I, I absolutely don't want to be the token, like self-hating white guy who like comments on me, but yeah, we're all so shitty and we all deserve this because that's kind of eye rolling. But at the same time, there is a really, there's a real potency to the way that the messaging here is focused on how so much actual protest is um, facile and pointless and in many ways adopted and wielded as a status symbol um, more so than anything else. And we've had a, a good amount of music that from the left that has commented on this to some extent, you know, the, the ways in which people will, you know, engage in facile gestures to show solidarity that don't actually mean anything or really contribute in any meaningful way. And they kind of just leave it at that. And there's that, that's been something that's been commented on a lot in culture. It's been something that's brought, been brought up a lot. And one thing that I don't think I have seen is a sense of true rage towards that where it's like your hollow gestures i get it on some level we should be grateful that you're doing that as opposed to nothing but like your hollow gestures are still honestly perpetuating the harm and so you should not feel good about your hollow little gestures and your hollow little like mm -hmm. um you know black profile pictures or whatever like you should feel bad about that because what you're doing is you're you're choosing that as a form of uh, making a statement when all you're doing is is really like uh catering to your own image and actually perpetuating the situation that you claim to be interested in and and over overcoming and like and and it's not like about here's a roadmap for how white people and, and people from all different cultures can help us it's just a simple screech of aggression and like being having your shoulders shook and said actually fucking think about what you're doing and who you're for and that's like, you know, it, it feels like, and again, I'm not maybe the most expert voice on punk music or, or hardcore scenes enough to comment on this, but it feels like there hasn't really been much of that. A lot of what, you know, socially progressive, revolutionary, you know, hardcore music has been lately has been like, you know, oh, punch a Nazi, cool. Like it's it's been very stereotypical With a bag of michael keaton when you know like it's this is a fresh this feels genuinely fresh in a lot of ways and like i said at the top i'm sure there's a lot of other bands out there doing this who just aren't getting the play but soul glow are here i think to make this uh an important and unignorable part of you know, the hardcore scene of the way in which we discuss and think about the particular um, socio-cultural ethnic subject matter on this record and how we are all a part of it in some way. And yeah, it, it comes through so powerfully. And yet also like there are just songs where it's, you get a pure sense of a personal aggression and a personal sort of suffering and then uh, tension that needs to be relieved from Pierce. Uh, and, and there's songs on here where he touches on more pers personal elements to do with his relationship with his family. The song Five Years in My Family, I found incredibly moving. Um, it's just a Fuck beautiful yeah. sort of admission of how he has in some way distanced himself 
from sources of help and support in his life and coming to understand and acknowledge how much solidarity there actually is and how much support he can actually have. And then that's something he comments on in the, in the last song as well, A Spiritual Level of Gang Shit, where he has that line about uh, talking about how he became vigilant through hypersensitivity and mm-hmm. small things like size become tells to him, relearning to trust his mind. And there's this moment there where he like acknowledges the fact that you know, living this way and having been made to live with this level of hypervigilance and this level of of a lack of trust out of self-preservation actually creates an environment where you end up shutting out the things that can actually help you, the people that can actually save you. And I mean, that moment is so profound because you realize like how thoroughly fucked you know, all of this is on an individual level where in order to save yourself, you have to be distrusting. But being distrusting can be the thing that actually, you know, kills you. So it's it's a it's a horrible paradox that Soul Glow and that Pierce Jordan make so front and clear to you as a listener, regardless of, of what you know background you're coming from. Uh, and and fuck, it's just hard as hell, obviously. My favorite song here, I think, is Jump or Get Jumped by the Future, uh, uh, which is yeah. uh, such an intense <laughs> fucking song and such a like um, a whirlwind of musical force and um, reflecting on the sense of immediacy with which every revolutionary action is imbued, the sense that every revolutionary action may be the last, but that this should be the thing that galvanizes us, not the thing that scares us away from, for example, you know, getting a gun and fucking shooting a cop or fucking burning down a fucking department store or whatever. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's music where you get a real sense that there could be, repercussions for its existence and yet that makes it more necessary and it's just there's a fucking sense of power in it and 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 actually not censoring oneself out of this desire for um self-preservation it's something that a lot of people a lot of people in minority groups a lot of black people can't do um because they can't make those risks but um this, this music does that. And, and, you know, I mean, it is at the end of the day, it is just music, but it's what it represents and what it imbues in the listener and what it shows as a pathway forward uh, is important and is powerful. And, and maybe Pierce Jordan would say, Hey, I'm not looking to fucking make the pathway forward. I'm just looking to fucking get this off my chest. And of course that's valid too. But like, I, I feel like this is the kind of record that, if you come away from you, you, everyone who listens to this record should come away from it feeling in some way more galvanized to act meaningfully in their behavior. And that I think ultimately is the punk ethos, right? That is ultimately the point of art in this vein is that, well, fucking talking to you, uh, fucking, you know, having straightforward conversations don't seem to do it. So we're going to fucking beat you to death and then you're going to fucking learn. And I mean, how can you, that can't, you can't ignore that. And, and it's just get away from that for a second and just acknowledge the musicality here as well. This entire band is absolutely on fucking fire. I want to shout out obviously guitarist Ruben Polo, who is laying down some incredible riffage here. Uh, who going to be Man my might ass? actually be on fire as far as I'm concerned, because uh, quite frankly, this is some <laughs> of the most impressive hardcore guitar playing I've heard in like, 
I don't know, since the last fucking Converge album came out. I mean, Jesus. It's, it's a hardcore record where you come away remembering so much. Like, Pierce Jordan is great at writing hooks. There's a lot of great fucking hooks on this record, which is an, a very impressive thing to do when your hooks are essentially screened to make them that memorable. Mm. But also you have memorable riffs. You have every element of the musicality here has been so refined. You can tell these guys have been working on this for a long time. I think there's even a lyric on one of the songs where Pierce refers to the fact that um you know this is like that the effort that went into like crafting this as their particular like you know most bold and expressive and important statement yet and drummer tj stevenson as well as just holding up the rhythm section uh, along with bassist gg too like those two are just absolutely driving so much of the force here the drumming is incredible on this record like it's so application of blast beats on this is just fundamentally ridiculous yeah a hundred percent and um a couple other things as well like uh one thing i want to shout out about pierce is obviously he's uh incredible vocal presence but i also want to shout out the dynamics he has even within his screaming range like this is a a vocalist who is able to not just scream but able to find different levels and pitches and um levels of intensity within his screaming such that you think he's on 10 and then he'll find another level he'll ratchet up the intensity again somehow within certain moments and his dynamism his ability to um move around within these kind of ranges of this you know harsh really scraping black metal-esque screams super impressive mm-hmm. super powerful like he you have to be you have to have a certain level of stamina you have to have a certain level of vocal training and you have to have a certain level of youth to be able to perform like that and and pierce is taking it also got to be real pissed yes you gotta be real too. fucking angry yeah <laughs> uh-huh. I love that's, how melodic that, his hook on, uh, especially We Want's Revenge. That's such a yeah. surprisingly, I mean, like I said, it's a surprisingly melodic hook when he's still screaming his brains out. It's out, Bob, I left her test and reluctance to let it terrorize. God, that's so good. I've had that. Let it terrorize. It's so fucking good. Like, this is, that's the thing is that, like, the barrier for entry for this album is basically do you like hardcore music yes you'll like this but like this is even in a way i feel like almost by design it's so dynamic and so multi-dimensional that it almost has like threatens to turn people who are in hardcore music away which i think is also just kind of part and parcel of the experience and also just sort of tied to the identity of this album's like soul i mean haha but like this actually makes me think of like there's a group of like black artists right now who are working in like such distinct genre synthesis that like that feels like important and vital and like trailblazing and cool like i would say that um soul glow backwash uh zealand ardor and clipping are all in the same kind of musical sphere for me in the sense that they're all about pushing the limits of extreme music in its various forms and synthesizing it with something else that makes it quintessentially unique and using that to amplify voices that would otherwise get ignored if they didn't push the extremes that they were. And that kind of movement I feel like, you know, we might not necessarily see other hardcore punk albums like Soul Glow, but we might see albums that have fuse it with something fucking, you know, completely different, like, you know, all of the other artists that I just said that feel vital and and important right now. And I would also just 
if, if some of these guys work together, like tell me that fucking they that clipping couldn't make an amazing fucking beat to put over for a soul glow song like oh fusing God, and really man. lean into the rap metal like that <laughs> well, would go unbelievably shout out to dripponomics as well which has this huge like industrial influence yep. within yeah dripponomics reminds me of that type of sound especially yeah. with the the female vocal passage i was getting very like if jpeg mafia just went really rough this is what it would I, sound like. I actually, <laughs> funnily enough, uh, that actually reminded me of the artist uh, TK Maidza, who worked with yes. uh, JPEG Mafia on a song called Awake on an EP a couple years ago, which really Awake reminds is one of my me favorite of fucking songs from both of them. And you're right, that does oh, sound a lot like Trypanomics. Oh that, my God. That, first of all, that song rules. Secondly, song it's rules. the same kind of thing. And I feel like, you know, honestly, you could probably lump JPEG Mafia up in like sort of to be at least this adjacent. But regardless, I just think that that's a really cool thing that like we're seeing albums like this come from so many different kinds of artists, different kinds of people. So generally speaking, it's just cool. And also, well, like if you just like hardcore punk music, this is going to satiate your thirst. And if it doesn't, you're lame. Sorry. But it, it just it kicks it undeniably kicks too much ass for you to get thrown up by all of the things that are idiosyncratic and unique about it. Because all of those things, the way that it's produced to have like guitar feedback worked into the beats of songs and stuff, it's just it's endlessly creative in ways that you might not pick up on initially but still contribute to the overall effect of the record it's just a really fundamentally dense project which makes it cool and even though i take partial issue with the um delivery of gold chain punk being like so like the verses in here are like you you literally cannot understand what this motherfucker is saying you have to look up the lyrics because he's talking so fast but the thing is is that this is the only track on here where that even remotely gets under my skin because every other place like this man is reciting novels worth of words in these songs. Like he is talking so fucking fast, but he manages to be legible most of the time. And if you don't, you know, you need to read it with lyrics anyway, just to properly like sink your teeth into it. But also he's just good at blending genuine hookiness, but also everything that comes in between these hooks and these really distinct moments, all of that still feels attention grabbing. Paying attention to what is being said here is not particularly difficult when it's being said quite as skillfully as this. Like this rambly vocal style might be somewhat off-putting, but I firmly believe that's a strength of the band and a strength of the album because it allows him to get out so much more than you might normally, which is, I mean, that's an immense fucking talent on your part if you're able to do this successfully. And I think that Pierce 100% is. Also, I, I can't help but like, it's jokey, but I thought you were going to say along the line, when you were getting into the white guilt thing, it sounded like you were about to go down the territory of like, I didn't hear the Soul Glow album. I sat my white ass down and listened. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I should have been further It just that. whips though, so. It goes hard. Let's get into our favorite tracks and ratings then for Soul Glow's Diaspora Problems. Jake, why don't you go first? All right three favorite tracks on here i think like the two standout perfect songs for me here are john jay and spiritual level of gang shit just absolutely demolishing that final leg of the album uh, uh just again fantastic shit and uh, uh i gotta pick a third one 
Um, I really do love Jump or Get Jumped by the Future. And I also really love Fucked Up If True. Um, but I think my pick here is actually going to be Five Years of My Family. That is one of the more resonant tracks on here. And I really think that everything is nailed in this song, like just spectacularly. Uh, and least favorite, yeah, it's Gold Chain Punk. It's a great song though. So, you know, who gives a fuck? Uh, this is going to get a tentative 8.5 from me. This is, again, this is just sort of an album that even though it's not long and even though it's a whole lot of fun to listen to and you can listen to it like 20 times, it's still something that's got a fair bit of density to it. So, you know, I, I want to take some time to digest this, but Lord knows it's going to end up high on my year end list. Uh, yeah, this, this fucking, yes. Yes. My favorite tracks are Gold Chain Punk, Jump or Get Jumped by the Future, and John Jay. Um, my least favorite track, if I had to pick one, um, no. I don't think I will. Um, and I'm going <laughs> to give this a 9 out of 10. I think this album is amazing. My three favorite tracks are going to be, I'm going to say Jump or Get Jumped, Dripponomics, and John Jay least favorite and not by any significant margin whatsoever is going to be fucked up if true i'm going to give this i feel similarly to jake though in that even though i'm about to give this album a big fat nine this is going to grow on me day by day as i continue listening to it hell yeah so that means we have an average rating of 8.8 for soul glows diaspora problems Let's move on now to our second review of the day, which is, of course. The new album from Denzel Curry, Melt My Eyes, See Your Future. Denzel Curry has been making quite the a black big metal name terrorist himself. The black metal terrorist himself. Deltron. <laughs> a, a man of many monikers. And he has yes. been making a big name for himself throughout the 2010s with records like Imperial, with records like Taboo. Uh, he has consistently risen from strength to strength. He seems to have grown exponentially in popularity with each release that he's put out. Um, I will say, though, I feel like he has, it's been a while since he's really made a bold sort of landmark statement. Um, I really don't think the last thing that's really like properly felt massive from him was taboo although i will say yeah. i think that the album he put out shortly after that zoo is quite underrated honestly it's uh, fucking fantastic completely agree yeah that album i feel like it was purposefully released in a way to be like very low key and not like a huge high profile album and it was very kind of like pop rappy in certain ways but man was it really fucking engaging entertaining and fun and had some great mm -hmm. songs and hooks on it so shout out to fucking zoo and um I mean, yeah, if you want to talk about breezy entertaining and fun let's talk about fucking unlocked is hey oh hey yeah, his, his, um, <laughs> his ep team up with kenny beats uh was um 18 minutes of straight gas <laughs> yeah and that had like a really like um 
vivid video i think that accompanied it it was this big sort yep. of multimedia little project thing and so denzel has kind of been papering the cracks of the time that's passed with um, releases and reminding us that he exists but we have all been waiting for uh his next big project and once the first lead single for this dropped walkin which i think was one of the first songs that dropped this year in terms of big singles yeah. Uh, you immediately knew that Zell was back and that he was about to drop his next big statement. And then surely enough, very quickly, we had the announcement of Melt My Eyes, See Your Future, which I want to say off the top of the bat, I think is the best album title of the year so far. I just love. That's pretty great. So I, I love the title of this album. <laughs> it's so um, just immediately kind of evocative, but also like. I love memorable. Matrix uh, Revolutions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and so, yeah. Oh, you no. had a song like "Walkin'," which uh, immediately I think still resonates as one of my favorite songs that Denzel has put out. I think this song is just so goes so ridiculously hard. Uh, his performance is fantastic. He's got the same level of attention to detail and ability to craft memorable hooks that he's always had that made "Taboo" such a great, great record. Um, mm-hmm. And you get all of the zell you want on that song and then the second single as well zatoichi which is the penultimate track here had a has a fucking breakbeat fucking d- drum and bass instrumental and it's like moving at 500 degrees and it's like contrasted with these really dreamy um sampling and and, and synth sounds and it's like holy shit this is fucking awesome and i love that single um and so both of these songs i think are, are re- were really gripping and and, and uh really showcased everything that makes Zell so great like even fuck I spent so much time listening to Walkin and that part when the beat kind of just slows down the second half and he just fucking switches up Mm. and it's just switching up Mm. it's just like so fucking good it's it's awesome (laughs) and 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 Zell is, is so great at doing that so you do get I think plenty of the Denzel that we all uh know and love here and I will say this isn't the same this isn't the quite the record i hoped it would be in terms of the boldness of its holistic statement in regards or in comparison to something like taboo uh it feels though there is an urgency here uh very much it feels like as he gets older zell is leaning more into talking about more personal things and reflecting on, I guess, his state of mind. And very much this is a kind of state of mind record where like, this is the place I'm in. This is where my soul is at. Uh, This is where I am coming from. This is how I've been feeling. I've been off the grid for a bit. I've been processing and I have thoughts and I've been struggling. You get a a sense of personal struggle in songs like um, Mental, for instance, and The Ills at the end of this record too. And so in many ways it's like Zeller's package to this as his big you know his next big kind of bold statement but in a lot of ways it feels like it is more introspective and more moody than maybe that expectation and that rollout might have prepared us for uh, I don't know what do you guys feel about this record what are you guys um what stands out about it immediately to you I want to talk the concept of a victory lap album which we got a couple of really great examples of last year namely uh tower of the creators call me if you get lost yep and the one i think this is more similar to uh little sims sometimes i might be introvert where little sims is ruminating on her success but also her own anxiety 
I think here Denzel is also reflecting on his success, but also just how, in a similar way to Solklo, how much the troubles of the world just keep him up at night, um, both in his personal life and just the world around him being as crazy as it is, which he gets into in a song like Walk-In, and he gets into with varying degrees of seriousness. I think about a song like um, Troubles with T-Pain, which is very much the two of them uh, being kind of petty, but having fun doing it. <laughs> but I also want to talk about, Jake, you brought this up during the last segment, and I have been thinking about this too. There's kind of a, a school of very online, very young hip hop right now. And a lot of it has come together on this album. I think of people like Denzel, Rico Nasty, JPEG Mafia, Clipping, Injury Reserve, people that are in different sounds and varying degrees of success, but all have very good working relationships. This is not the first time Denzel and Rico Nasty have worked together. Rico Nasty and Injury Reserve have one of, made the best moments of either of their careers together on Injury Reserve's self-titled album. And this album reflects a lot of that where, especially when Denzel is around his collaborators, he is at his best. There are producers, different producers all over this album. JPEG Mafia is on a track. Kenny Beats is on a track. Robert Glasper is on multiple tracks. Mm -hmm. That's what makes me think of this as a victory lap album. He's brought together everybody that he loves working with, that everybody that brings out the best in each other, and they're making this project where Denzel gets to be the most I think like himself that he has ever been where taboo is super conceptual and the zoo and unlocked are major flexes I think all of the the aliases and the characters that Denzel has played in the past have kind of gone away even though he does call this a Zell Kurosawa film. <laughs> yeah, and he has a song on here called Sanjiro, which obviously is named after the Kurosawa movie. And Zatoichi being the fucking, uh, yeah. I can't remember the star of that movie, but Zatoichi is a samurai film about a blind man. Yeah. Even when he leans into those characters, he feels the most in synthesis with where he is right now personally. That's what makes me think of Call Me If You Get Lost, too. Mm -hmm. Is it this album feels really present for Denzel. I completely agree, actually. And you get a sense of that really quickly on the record too, I think. I think of a song like Worst Comes to Worst, where Zell is, is literally speaking about like feeling like he has to be carrying, be packing heat, uh, carrying a gun around him wherever he goes. Um, the sense of paranoia that comes through on this track. And there is the sense of, maturity but also like the kind of bewildering terror that can come with like being fully cognizant of the world you're living in and not necessarily being able to you know escape into fantasy as much and that I think is an aspect of this record that makes it more grounded and also showcases uh, both strengths and weaknesses that Denzel has as a musician as an artist at this particular juncture of his career because there are moments where he really shines I think leaning into commenting on and talking about that from a personal perspective and there are moments where I think it kind of gets away from him and um, I don't think he it, the the concept is as fully realized on certain moments of this record either um, but that said 
the sound of this thing generally most for the most part is fantastic and i particularly love that robert glasper production on the opening track here melt session one which is just so fucking slick and awesome and and so good uh and, and there are moments like that and sounds like that are definitely what has resonated the most with me while listening to this this week yeah i think this is maybe the most introspective album he sort of put out like just sort of unadorned with uh personas or, or characters that was the kind of the whole bent with taboo was he was just sort of leaning into all of these aspects of his style and personality and storytelling that sort of all manifested on that album pretty well i'm a fan in case you couldn't tell um but yeah i mean i'm a big denzel fan uh and i've liked everything he's made thus far and this is no exception i do like this album that said, I definitely can't help but feel like something's missing here. Every time I listened to this record, I kept coming back to it wanting to like it more. And my opinion just kind of stayed the same the whole time. And I think it's mostly because of two things. The first thing is that this is like the polar opposite of where Denzel started sound-wise because you have something like Imperial on the sort of first half of his career is an incredibly hard hitting record that has a lot of different influences than just hip hop. That's an album that draws from metal just as much as it does classic, uh, you know, hardcore hip hop, but it's something that really gave him sort of an edge and sort of an identity when he came out. And this is sort of the complete opposite end where Taboo kind of balanced the harder edges of his sound on stuff like, you know, Vengeance or Black Metal Terrorist. And then he kind of had the vibier shit like Black Balloons. And this is distinctly more of the, the vibier shit, which I can get behind. I think the first track on here is my favorite thing uh, on here, the Melt Session one, just because of that production, that sort of hazy kind of jazz club feel is just something I really get along with. That said, I think the thing here is that it just leads to a bit more of a monochromatic listening experience to the point where on songs where I'm the most enamored with his pen game, I am the least enamored with how the album itself actually sounds. And on songs where there is something a little bit more interesting happening production-wise, I don't feel like uh, Zell's on top of his game necessarily. And that's probably the biggest weakness for me is the inconsistency. But really, it's just that Denzel's writing here is personal. It's, and I don't know if this is just because we had something like Soul Glow to stand in stark uh, opposition to something like this. His writing here is really vague. Like, I get the problems that Denzel is enamored with and the weight that he is shouldering and a lot of the things that are bothering him, but he has a lack of tangible details. Like, on the Soul Glow album, there, I feel like I walked away from that album knowing more about Pierce as a person through his music because the struggles he was talking about on that album are through the lens of the personal, of the familial, like, in a sense that you really do feel how these issues affected him. Whereas Denzel, everything's really external. Like maybe it's just the, the fact that the weight is on him most psychologically. And he just kind of repeats that point again over and over. And like, I, a lot of these bars are really thoughtful, but a lot of them too just kind of feel elusive. There, there's something about the way he talks about, it, it, it's not as to this degree, but it's sort of like, how Drake has started from the bottom and that's supposed to be a song about how far you've come, but it's 
just kind of forgets to get the part about where you're supposed to come from somewhere so that you can have a contrast to when you talk about how you are here and it actually means something. And I feel like that's sort of the emotional attitude of Denzel is that he's talking about how like, he's like, oh, this, you know, I have to worry about this. And then my second question always comes to, but like, how? I, I just want him to go deeper and I never really get that on here. There are moments where it kind of gets that with like worst comes to worst, where it really, it manifests in the idea of him having to look over his shoulder, him having to pack heat and all that stuff. But everything else, like the albums, like the Lil Sims album, is that that's a record where it takes all of these issues that she's dealing with and she crystallizes it in the form of a story about how her cousin got stabbed. And here it's Denzel being like, you know, it feels like I'm listening to him on like a therapy couch and he's like talking about all these things that are bothering him, but I never get the diagnosis. I never get the evaluation. And it's not like I want this to be deep necessarily. It's just that I want this to feel more substantive than it is. Like even Taboo is an album that's drenched in characters and is a lot like brighter in places is that I still felt as though the issues that Zell was grappling with on there affected him more. You have a song like Sirens and that's a song that really hits hard on that record, especially in contrast to the other songs, especially where it is on the album. I don't have anything on here that really hits me like that does. And it's grappling with issues that this is specifically geared towards with like that song. You know, he was talking about, you know, the, just the state of police violence and, you know, Trump's America, that kind of shit. Here, I just, I like it when he's doing his collaborations just because it adds a little bit of color and flair to everything. Like I really love the T-Pain feature, for example. I really like um, the addition of uh, something like 454 on uh, Sanjuro. But She's great. all of these songs just feel a little half measurey to me. I don't get as much out of them. They're vibier and cooler, but they're not as vibey and cool as the stuff on Taboo. There's just... It feels like in the rush to make a substantive statement, he tripped a little bit and ended up just being like a little hollow, in my opinion. I, it's just, it's very frustrating to me because overall there's like, I don't think there's a song on here that's like bad musically. Um, the closest I come is really the two songs on here. I'm not a huge fan of The Smell of Death. It's just kind of like whatever. Uh, the thing I really don't care for listening to is John Wayne, just because of how he delivers the hook. He's like, John Wayne. It's like, can you like ease up on the delivery there a little bit? It's a little like, <laughs> like didn't, didn't make that. Kind of take me out of the, the mood of the song, as it were. But I, I unfortunately do come down on the side of a little bit of disappointment because, well, Denzel is totally one of my favorite people working in this sort of niche right now he's also somebody who hasn't ever come through with a project to me where i'm just like yes this is it for him this is his masterpiece this is his like this is his defining moment it feels like he's trying to do that here but it just it, it's a little bit off the mark i appreciate the ambition especially after you do an album like zoo which is very like purposefully like intimate it's about where he grew up it's about his identity and in relation to that like even then I get more of a personal bent on that record and but it was still him operating inside his comfort zone here he's a little bit further out of it and in my opinion means he leans away from a lot of his distinct strengths so 
it's yeah. good. It's just I want it to be better. Yeah, I'm I'm I like same. it's good. I want it to be better. I, I like the record. I probably feel pretty similar to um, a lot of the things that you've said. I will say I'm, and I don't want this to sound mean, um, but I, I'm starting to think that Denzel is maybe not the kind of rapper that we maybe want him to be or the kind of artist that's going to put out like a classic record maybe. Um, but yeah, that's I mean, not to say that knows? he's, he's he, he very well may prove me wrong there and I hope he does, but I think he's, yes. he's a solid He's a, he's a really solid rapper. He's got a lot of great technical skill and he's had moments. He's great at creating moments, um, like his Balls on Parade cover, for instance. I also thought a lot of the song he did with Terrace Martin and Kamasi Washington in 2020, Pig Feet. Uh, that yeah, song yeah. is one of the most urgent songs of that year. It came right on the heels of the George Floyd protest as well. And that, and I'm not saying that like, you know, all of his music has to have that level of urgency and vividness. Um, because it would be unfair to hold him to that standard. Uh, and he would might not understandably want to make music that has all of that level of urgency to, to Denzel. But it would still help on an album like this. Sure. I think that's an important thing, though. I think Denzel, what you get here is maybe a bit of a conflict between people wanting Denzel or having this expectation for Denzel to have this kind of, myself included here, to have this kind of like urgency and violence in what he does. And Denzel's instincts deep down where he's kind of best as a pop rapper like his best moments and his best skill is in like crafting hooks and stuff like one of my favorite songs like, here ooh. yeah exactly one of my favorite songs here the last has a fantastic hook and and Denzel is great at like yes. crafting and delivering hooks in a way that makes them sticky in your mind and you don't necessarily mind even when they get quite repetitive and he's great at doing that. I think he's great at making pop rap songs that have a little bit of a extra bite to them and maybe have some sort of commentary and, and stuff on them. Like, like John Wayne as well. And worst comes to worst, both those songs being about like, you know, the imminent threat of, of death and needing to like carry a gun around because of the, of the environment that you're in. And, um, you know, he's great at communicating that I think. And, and, um, but there's also moments where it feels like, yeah, I agree. He doesn't necessarily, the songs don't necessarily get fulsome enough to really let you be immersed in what he's trying to communicate. Like the best songs on here, Mount Session, Walkins, Zadoichi, The Ills, absolutely give you enough space for that. But then songs like Mental, where I'm totally with him on the feeling that he's conveying and the mental state that he's in, but the song itself feels underdeveloped. The song itself feels as though it doesn't quite... Um, get where it's going before it's over. And that's a problem a lot of the songs in the second half of this record have too, uh, where yeah. tracks like X-Wing and Angels as well, where you, I feel like there's just, they're undercooked and there is a sense of disconnect between the pop rap style that he's good at and the irreverence that he's great at channeling and the fractious mental state that he's in and how that makes it difficult for him to focus on what he's good at. Um, and, and I think maybe his next record will maybe more skillfully thread the line between those two things i think he's definitely has the potential to um, build on that and i definitely like what you said jen about this feeling like sort of a victory lap record and having the kind of feeling that tyler's record had last year where i wasn't in love with that record either but it was like here's another helping of what you really like about this artist infused with more sort of personal stuff i think that record is definitely more successful than this one at that but at the same time, I'm like waiting for the next big pivot, uh, the next big like uh, here's the new era sort of thing. 
Uh, and mm. the, both of these records don't really represent that for those artists, but they're still good and there's still plenty there to enjoy in and of themselves. I will say, uh, just to be have a bit of a point of contrast, I don't really care for the song Troubles at all. Uh, it has a nice beat, I guess. It has the production, is all right. I just can't. I don't like T-Pain, man. He's so annoying to me. What? I, 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 I like him. And fair enough. Like, absolutely. It's a me thing, 100%. I just don't like his voice. I find him kind of silly. <laughs> um, I got some problems the music can't fix. Whole, whole squad, everybody on my deck. And then the ad liver is like, get on get my on dick. And it's just like, it's like, yeah, I get it. Like, I if you were a slightly different type of rapper or had a slightly different vocal inflection, I'd probably get more out of you. And it's just a bit silly for me. And I, I feel weird saying that because there's kind of, there are rappers like T-Pain who do this kind of silly thing in a way that I can get on board with. Um, fucking Danny Brown, for example, he's maybe a bit more extreme of an example, but T-Pain does kind of fit here because he is like, emblematic of the kind of pop rap thing that Denzel's good at and so they have a chemistry together uh it's just not for me I think the best feature on this record or at least the one that I get along with the most is Rico Nasty on Ain't No Way I think that's actually a great sort of like posse cut-esque song Mm -hmm. where you have all these different features uh I'm not as hot on Six Lack and his vocal inflection and his lyrical style Six Lack uh (laughs) <laughs> i think it is pronounced black actually okay well here we go <laughs> i'm fairly uh, certain not super familiar with the guy i had but... an internal moment where i was like oh god have i been saying that wrong my this whole time? my i guess that's my three height showing uh but yeah still great features on this song uh jed's great on it too uh but yeah rico really stands out i just love listening to rico nasty rap she's so good at what she does she has so much energy um i really liked her uh, was it an EP that she did with Kenny Beats, uh, Anger yes. Management, I think, yeah. a couple of years ago? Um, that was really great. And I want to hear an, a new proper full length from her too. But she's always great on anything she turns up on. Yeah, there's a lot to enjoy in this record. And I certainly don't mind um, listening to it from front to back. But I think it peaks early and then it peaks late with the best stuff on this album. And then in the middle, you have a, stuff that's a little bit more ponderous and less focused than yeah. I would like from Denzel. Uh, but it's still a good record and um, it sounds immaculate. Like his production work, the production work for the most part, the choice of producers is great. And it's a really refined, you can tell it's an expensive record too. There is just a depth to the way it sounds. And I don't think I've, at any point I'm really disengaged from it uh, on a production or musical level. So, you know, that's not something to overlook. It, it sounds great. And you know it's a good record and it's it's not maybe the the big i think maybe we were kind of hoping for a classic with those singles and maybe we didn't get that but it's still a record worth listening to it's still a record worth spending time with it's still a record that i think gives you an insight into where denzel's at if you're interested in him as a personality as an artist so it should still be listened to for that reason at the very least i think i started <laughs> to lose hope for the classic record with um Zatoichi. I think Slow Tie's hook on this song sucks. Uh, <laughs> Why is he life sound is like short that? like Life is short like a dwarf. Is it a little LeBron too? <laughs> well, this is the thing, isn't it? Slow Tie's I've been kind holding of, that joke all day. <laughs> here's my thing. I don't really think Slow Tie has ever been that good. Uh, but at the same time, I like some of his music. I kind of wish he had a verse 
as opposed to just that cycling hook. Um, but yeah, I kind of it's think so distorted. It could have been anybody. Why yeah, that's, that's true. I didn't, I didn't realize even that it was him until I was looking at the lyric sheet. A, a lot of what's going on here, <laughs> I feel like, is due in part to the fact that, like, yeah, his last bigger album was Taboo. It's why I kind of think that, like, maybe he kind of sailed into a groove of really fucking with those shorter projects like Zoo and Unlocked and stuff, just because I feel like he's really able to nail down the concision of what makes him great in those projects. And I feel like this would be better as one of them. You just need to take the best moments from here. And then it's like, yeah, this is a new direction for him, but it works better as a more, like the fact that this is sprawling and like a bigger album is in my opinion, its biggest problem. So if you cut it down to its more essential moments and you just be like, this is him on his way to whatever he's doing next, whether or not him being trying to make a classic or whatever, but like it just has way too many structural stumbling blocks that Imperial and that Taboo don't have. Mm -hmm. So maybe him folk, like I wouldn't mind if he focused on making EP length stuff for the rest of his career because he's good at it. And frankly, that's a cool idea. It's just like, yeah, have a rapper who doesn't have a like an amazingly long, like a huge gigantic ass album or a bunch of them is just like have a one that's like release 20 different EPs or 20 different fucking albums that barely go over 30 minutes. That's cool. I'm fine with that. The album this reminds me the most of structurally, especially in terms of how I process it, is actually Coloring Book. Because I think Coloring Book in this album, Chance the Rapper's album, start out really strong for me, then get kind of wonky, and then end really strong. So yeah. I think about songs yeah, like All We Got and No Problem, and I completely feel that same thing when I listen to like Melt Session and Walk In. And then in the middle, you have your your x-wings and your your juke jams um but then it ends really strong yeah that's a good comp actually um i think a lot of people would not be bold enough to invoke chance the rapper in this context but i think it's actually already done it once well yeah there we go and that is i made a little lebron joke that is a good album covering book it's a solid release And um, I feel I probably would say that there are those, these two records are about of the same quality, which is not indicative yeah. of anything. But and what um, I mean with that is that like both of those projects have some of my my favorite stuff that those artists have ever done. Like stuff like Walk In, stuff like Ain't No Way. Ain't No Way is probably my favorite track Denzel's ever done, which is insane because do you guys have you guys heard the story of how that one was recorded? It's really no, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so a bunch of uh, everyone who was on the track was pretty much in the same place at the same time, pretty coincidentally. So they were like scrambling to just make something and write it and get it finished. And so you have some contributions to the track are much shorter, but really substantial. Like I think Josiah's introduction to the track is really good. I think Black's hook is really good. Jid's verse is significantly shorter than Rico's and Denzel's, but it's perfectly placed and completely perfect like every syllable jid throws out is on point um but they were just scrambling to get this track together and then they didn't know where it was going to end up and i guess denzel was just the first person to drop so they let him have it (laughs) but it fits with the album i think it's not a complete like heel turn either all right shall we move on to our favorite tracks and ratings then for denzel curry's melt 
etc. Jen, why don't you go first if we're doing proper reverse order this time? All right. My three favorite tracks in track list order are Walkin', John Wayne. Peggy came through with a banger on that one. I just, I love that one so much. We didn't really talk about it, but it's a good one for me. And Ain't No Way. Least favorite track is X-Wing. This is going to get a seven from me. Hell yeah. Uh, my favorite tracks are uh, Walkin', Mount Session, and Zatoichi. Uh, my least favorite track is X-Wing, and I'm going to give the album a six. Three favorite tracks. Favorite here is Melt Session number one. Uh, second favorite, probably The Ills. Third favorite, I'm going to say Zatoichi. Least favorite, third, John, yeah, it's probably John Wayne. Nah, X-Wing. X-Wing is my least favorite. And I will give the album a six and a half out of ten. All right, which means that the album gets a 6.5 out of 10 for Denzel Curry's Melt My Eyes, See Your Future. Let us know at home what you think of either of the albums that we've discussed today, Soul Glow's Diaspora Problems and Denzel Curry's Melt My Eyes, See Your Future. Do you agree with our takes? Do you disagree? Do you have a different perspective that you want to offer? We want to hear it. We want to hear uh, different feelings, different perspectives, or even if you agree with us, hit us up in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, head on over to YouTube by following the link in the description and let us know what you think in the comments. Uh, if you are listening on a podcast streaming platform, please consider giving us a five-star rate and review if you enjoyed the podcast. If you're listening to us on YouTube, uh, please consider liking the video and subscribing to the channel if you have not already. Uh, both of those things really help us a lot as we try to grow our audience a little bit more bit by bit. Um, if you want to go on above and beyond and support the channel even more than that, you can hit the join button on our YouTube page. And for just $1 a month, you can support the channel, get entitled to such perks as having your name featured in the title call of every episode in this channel, uh, getting a priority comment response. And if you want to recommend us some music to listen to, your recommendation will go to the top of the pile. As always, though, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, Red Bull gives you wings.